You may be seated. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul the Apostle is talking to Timothy the pastor. Paul had a beautiful relationship with Timothy. Paul's relationships were some of the most clearly documented elements in the New Testament. He talked about the people that were with him. He talked about the people that betrayed him. He talked about the pseudo-Delphos, false brethren. He talked about the struggles he had. He talked about the people that were faithful in Colossians chapter 4, a whole chapter identifying several people and naming them by name. He also named people that abandoned him, people that backstabbed him. He didn't hold back. He had lived a full-spectrum life, but yet he called Timothy a true son in the faith. Timothy and Paul had a unique relationship. Barnabas and Paul had a good relationship until there was a a falling out because of Mark, who was uh, not loyal to Paul and backed off, and it caused a disruption, and that created a breach in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. And after that, we never heard from Barnabas again, who was a son of encouragement, a consolation. Uh, And yet Mark did get restored back into fellowship because he repented. But we see here, Timothy never did have any of those lapses. It was a relationship of commitment. It was a relationship of loyalty. It was a both-way relationship. He was a true son in the faith. At one point when Paul was sending people to work in an area, he said, I can't send anybody because they're all caught up in their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy was the faithful one. And so it says here, Paul, who had already told Timothy in chapter uh, 1, verse 7, he said, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. How many of you have heard that verse a time or two? Paul wanted to instill in Timothy, who seemed to have some issues with uh, maybe insecurity, maybe he dealt with anxiety. Paul kept reminding him, hey, listen, man, you're going to get through this. You can do this. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he has given you a spirit of power. Say that, spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You are empowered He's not weak toward you. He's mighty in you. Let the weak say, I am strong. Love, you have the love walk in your life. That love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't hold unforgiveness toward people. Love doesn't carry resentment. Love doesn't get hijacked. When you walk in love, it's the atmosphere. Faith works through love. As you walk in love and you guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, you'll see a greater increase of fruitfulness. This is an hour where God's getting us ready, and this is what Paul's trying to do with Timothy at the very end of the last letter to Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. This is strong assertion. This isn't just eloquence. Paul's not just being pompous in his letter. He's not just trying to figure out something prosaic to say to impress Timothy. He's led by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is inspired by God. In fact, look up right above it. It says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned, verse 14, and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. I see a grandmother and I see a mother and a dad and I see kids. And it's like Timothy where his his grandmother and his mother, Eunice and Lois, and it passed it down. Even though Timothy's dad was a Greek, There were godly people in his family that passed down the ordinances and the laws and the commands of God and those dictates, and he took hold of it. And he said, you know that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation. Through the, listen, you know the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation 
through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I had a prayer warrior in the first service, Greg. He told me, Pastor Jeff, I like it that you, you appreciate Billy Graham. I said, oh, okay, yeah. He said, no, but here's what happened to Billy Graham. He said, Billy Graham, when he was young, he had a comrade that they, he could even preach better than Billy Graham. And, but yet that guy started a lapse and he embraced higher criticism that the word of God isn't really that valid and, and, and that Jesus isn't uh, a deity. And, and the guy started to dismiss the resurrection and some of the critical doctrines of the faith. But Billy Graham had a conviction about that. And Billy Graham went out in the woods with his Bible and put it, and I remember it, he put his Bible on a tree stump and he just stood there and looked at his Bible and he just got out there and preached to the woods and made a decision to stay with the word of God. And the other guy that Billy said preached better than he did, that had a greater gift, a greater charisma, a greater skill, a greater verbosity, yet he had forfeited, he got gutted, and he didn't guard what he had been entrusted to him. This is a critical thing. And so Paul is solemnly charging. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, these are all preparation terms. These are all get ready terms. It validates our Bible intake. I, I want to encourage you to get a Bible reading program, to study to show yourself approved unto God. If you don't know where to start, read a proverb a day and read a chapter of Acts a day. Because there are, there are 31 proverbs and there are 28 chapters in Acts. And you could read the proverbs and you'll get wisdom. It says that, you, that wisdom will come to you. There's wisdom that leads to salvation. Those things were written for wisdom, for our instruction. And with the book of Acts, it is the prototype fabulous uh, beginning of the fledgling early church. And it is in fact what the apostles and the prophets forecast and foretold that the head of the church mandated signs and wonders following an enriched church where they were filled with the Holy Spirit, where they went about doing good, where they walked by faith and not by sight, and they were led by the Holy Spirit in that uh, they were called into a sequence of events, each one. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That was Daniel 11.32. And if you remember in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah said to the people of the, the deportation or the exile from Israel to Babylon, he said, look, it's going to be 70 years. These false prophets that are telling you it's going to be easy and you're going to get all the stuff back from the temple and it's going to be restored really fast aren't giving you the correct word, but in spite of it, go and get married and have babies and go plant trees and eat the fruit and don't decrease, but increase. And in that famous portion of scripture, there's so much encouragement, even though there was a delay and even though there was stress in that time of, of the exiles in Babylon, God anointed Daniel and God shut the mouths of lions during that period. God anointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and protected them when they were thrown into a furnace by a crazy Nebuchadnezzar. Five, they were delivered from the power of fire. They were delivered from the jaws of the lion. And they, more importantly, I think, there's a God in heaven who reveals mystery. And this man, Daniel, fellowshiped with God, became acquainted with and got to know God. That's where the amazing phrase, ancient of days, came from. Corey Edwards wrote a beautiful song, and that's one of the phrases in his song that he wrote, and we sing it. And it's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. He's the ancient of days. Doesn't that make you feel stabilized? You know that he's been there, done that. And you're serving a God that knows more about things than you could ever imagine. Yeah. So you get in the book of wisdom and study it. And if you miss a day, you miss a day. Get back in it. Get in the book of Acts and read each chapter. 
Let it stir you. Let it bring a prototype example into your spirit. Let it fire you up for what God's called you to do. They were gathered in one place. There came a sound like a rushing mighty wind from heaven. Fire distributed on each one of their heads. And when the sound happened, the crowd gathered. Wow. This is why I've committed in our church for decades to not try to have artificial growth, not try to put steroids on it, an artificial bunch of synthetic, uh, synthetics and a bunch of fertilizers of the natural or human stuff. I, I don't want our faith to rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. It's got to be God, and it has to be. We have to see the, the plan of God come to pass in our generation. This is my passion. I, I didn't get into this to build a ministry. I got in this to cooperate with heaven. And as I cooperate with heaven, I'll go and see that God has been good to me, and he certainly has been good to me. But I'm telling you, for us, the best is yet to come. And in the, how else can we see such intensified brilliance unless the darkness is trying to encroach? And that's what happened in the days of the deportation. And that's why when we read about how good God was to Daniel and we read about how God was so good to Paul in the midst of the Roman prison and the weird, convoluted, crazy, false values of the Roman, uh, the Roman system, you, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire is history. You could read about it. The degradation, the pride, the, the, the hedonism, the bizarre obsessiveness, the crazy power hunger, and that yet God decided to birth the church in the middle of all that. And the zealots kept thinking Jesus was going to, the Messiah was going to put a whooping on the system. But he, he came to put a power into the meek and the lowly and raise them up to be a fearless breed who would pray in faith, who would walk in love, who would be strategically placed and who would go about in the spirit and obey the Lord and, we, and see signs and wonders follow. And we're in that, that lineage. We're in that. Well, that's, our, that's the legacy they passed to us. And we read about this and Paul, we see the flames coming off of these truths. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I'm going to say this to somebody. You read your Bible and you don't get anything out of it. And you close it and go, well, I read it. You just trust that the Holy Spirit is going to reignite that in your spirit and he's going to give you revelation. If you don't bother to read it, he doesn't have anything to quicken to your memory. You read it even if you don't feel inspired. I'm telling you, it is inspired by God and eventually God will open your eyes to understand it and light you on fire with it. He'll bring things to your remembrance. He'll quicken you. Don't be discouraged with Bible reading. Take hold of it. And if you're not interested in reading, faith comes by hearing the word. Listen, there's so many good downloads and apps now. There used to be reel-to-reels and then cassettes and then CDs and then MP3s and then whatever else you want to find. Listen to the word. You got the two men in black that, quote, that, that read the New Testament. Johnny Cash and Darth Vader. Take your pick on the two men in black. You can listen to Darth Vader, James Earl Jones, We'll read the whole book of uh, the New Testament. I'm telling you, it's a trip. And when I was a youth pastor, we, we bought tickets and we went to the Esquire Theater when that third of the trilogy of the beginning movies in the 70s and 80s came out. And it was in the early 80s. It was the last one. That was when the Dark Lord was trying to get Darth Vader to kill off Luke. And they were in that moment. It's, it, uh, by the way, it's, uh, spoiler alert. 
that this is from 35 or something, 40 years ago. So if you haven't seen it, tough. But anyway, <laughs> we had a row, we had a bunch of teenagers and young people in the service. And we, we, we had like a big part of the theater, a beautiful Esquire theater, you know, in Clayton, Clayton Road. And we, we were sitting there and then uh, he said, take my helmet off. And he took his helmet off and he said, I must save you, Father. He said, you already have. When he said that, I jumped up, Darth Vader got saved! <laughs> Now, I don't know if you interview George Lucas, he might have a different opinion about theology and stuff. But as far as I was concerned, with my Christian eyes and ears, I redeemed that story. And that's what I, hallelujah. And so they looked at us. I mean, we, we scared them. We were going, ah! Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'd do it again. Remember when there was a power failure and it was in Creve Corps? And it was, this, it was the first Darth Vader movie. And the lights were all out, and I, Patsy and we were dating. And uh, we, we drove in, and I parked. I got out of the car. I didn't even tell anybody what I was doing. We walked into the movie theater. I walked past the uh, ushers. I walked down there. One usher got his flashlight, and he walked us down. We walked, he, he escorted us, like, because we walked in there. Uh, we were, we were being, I was being led by the Holy Spirit. We had been praying. I got down to the edge of the front of the movie, the guy flashed his light in my face, and I preached the gospel to the whole crowd. And then we left. And I said, this is the judgment that men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. And I left. And uh, it was pretty amazing. And, uh, you, you know, and if it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it would just be darn annoying. Who's that religious guy getting up in the middle of this power failure preaching? Except that the Lord prompted me to do it. I don't advocate stupidity, but I am advocating obedience. So there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And as often as I've done that, 10 times more God's had me restrain myself and not do that. But I want to say the Lord will lead us and we need to be prepared. And one of the key verses is to lay up Jesus as Lord in our hearts so that we may always give an account for the hope that is in us. And I'm telling you, I believe we're about ready to see a cycle where people are going to become hungry there are a couple of young ladies who moved to California from our church, and they live in Los Angeles, which has been very troubled. I got saved in Los Angeles. I grew, I grew up out there. And back 100 years ago, another great African-American leader, uh, William J. Seymour, God put his anointing on that guy in the midst of all the Jim Crow craziness. And here's a one-eyed man who didn't have the advantage of education, but yet was touched by the Holy Spirit and anointed. God, it made perfect sense to me, just like God used a German guy born during the war in Nazi Germany to go and be a blessing to so many people in Africa. It made perfect sense to me that God would activate this man in this time of dismissiveness and hostility, and yet the anointing changes everything. That's why we don't have to fight in the flesh. We could trust God because the anointing changes everything. And in fact, you are his workmanship and you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Get, let this get in your spirit, even you, even where you don't feel like you're the best Christian in the house, even while you don't even think you've been in the word lately, you haven't prayed enough, you feel kind of discouraged. Some of you may have verifiably been through some depression. And yet, listen, the, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And in the midst of disappointment, we know whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord because we have an appointment with him and we can align with him and be obedient, 
And I think about you guys and your neighbor who was dying and how you led him to the Lord at the end of his life. And I think about how God provided you as an example to him. And he came and he got so touched by the Lord. How a man watched one of our TV spots was so obscure and he had to work to find this place. He worked on the arch and he was a welder and he got some sort of sickness related to that, a condition that many of the workers ultimately got. But in his last legs of life, he, he told his wife and his adult daughter, I've got to go there. I've got to get my life right with God. He came here and he got saved. He came here and he got saved in this house. He came here and he got saved. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of praise. This is a house of evangelism. This is a house of discipleship. This is a house where the word of God is acknowledged and honored. I'm going to take my Bible and put it on the stump in the woods and go along with Billy Graham and say the Bible says, rather than back off and get in some sort of distortion and be conformed to something less. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training and righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate. I can say this and expand this because there's neither male nor female in Christ. He'll pour out his spirit. Our old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Handmaidens, bond servants. So let me say this to you in a more general way. So that the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Earlier, Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? He said, our adequacy is from him. Some of us feel so inadequate. But I'm telling you, there's a growth potential in your life. There's a seed, an incorruptible seed of the word of God that's, that's, that's birthed in your life. You're anointed and empowered for certain kingdom duties. And I don't know what they are, and I'm not going to try to tell you. And don't let people get in swami guru status with you and start trying to prophesy directive direction in your life. Because actually, that's not how God leads New Testament people. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Listen, we're not to despise prophetic utterance. I've had Dick Mills, Kenneth Hagin. I've had many amazing people prophesy over me. Lester Sumrall, uh, Marilyn Hickey, some of the fine, great people of God in my generation. I've had some key things said, and I've had a lot of things I put on the shelf. And I'm very wary of people that come out of nowhere. Those go way back on the shelf, locked up, key thrown away. And especially when it's go do this and go do that. I tell you, you're anointed. What does that mean? You have been given authority. You've been given power. You, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's restored. What was lost and forfeited in the rebellion of the disobedience of Adam and Eve has been meticulously restored through Jesus Christ. He's triumphed over the devil and he's given you power. And you could pray over your kids so that they'll turn out powerfully and turn out great. You could pray about your marriage so that the cycles of challenge and trial, the ups and downs, inevitable ups and downs of life can be brought into healing. And you could come into a great place. If you're in a tender or sensitive place or a difficult place or a distance place right now, God can bring healing to you. I've seen him do it in our marriage. I've seen him do it in my life as a Christian. I watched God walk me through and be patient with me through such long periods of time when I was just sort of dull and God's grace was upon me and his mercy. Aren't you glad for God's grace and mercy? Am I talking to anybody in here? Because some of you may be doing great. And if you are, I pray you stay on a good course and stay humble about it, right? Because pride comes before the fall. So just be sure to stop and give Jesus all the credit. 
I know a wonderful pastor who's still preaching today, and I traveled with him. He had a wonderful meeting. God moved in the gifts, and he preached an amazing word. And we went away. God's presence was there, and we got in the car, and he said, God, thank you. Immediately, I want to give you all the praise, all the credit. I learned something from that day. He wasn't like, hey, roll down your window. I am awesome. No, he was like, God, apart from you, we could do nothing. And God, we just want to thank you for your hallelujah. It's amazing what God can do through somebody that'll just say, here am I, Lord, send me. And in fact, this is what I'm preaching, and I'm running out of time, but I'm doing good. My time is slipping away from me, but I'm making the most of my time. Are you listening? Everybody say, be prepared. prepared. Say, ready, Ready. set. Set. What about the go? What about the go? God will get you ready and set, and he sometimes won't and often doesn't reveal a great deal of detail Because he knows we'll try to do it in the flesh or we'll be apprehensive and we'll be uh, in fear and we'll back off. And so he knows the tendencies of humanity. So to prevent us from trying to do it in the flesh or trying to or being fearful and backing off, he just gives us on an as need to know basis as much as we need to know. But let me tell you something. There are people in here, you're anointed for stuff you don't even know God's making you ready for. I think about Mike and Becky and I think about their neighbor. And how God set them up at the appointed time. He had a disease. Was he on dialysis? And then he took himself off dialysis. And he got with his Christian neighbors. And he basically said, he didn't have a death wish. He wasn't being suicidal. He just, his body was worn out and he was old. And this is what he felt like he was supposed to do. And so it wasn't like a self-destruction. He wasn't like assisted suicide or any of that kind of garbage. He was just at the end of his life. But he wanted to make sure at the end of his life that he got to know the God of Mike and Becky. And they led him to the Lord. And I sat over here with him, and he was so tender and so respectful. That little necklace on, he came in. I mean, that just showed he wasn't suicidal. He kind of dolled up a little bit. He came in styling, you know. And he went out in glory. He went out in glory. I stand at attention at the welder who built the arch, not because he was a welder that built the arch, but because he was a man at the late station of his life, realized you know what, in addition to everything else I've done, he had a good family, he loved his wife, his adult daughter, obviously they had a healthy, uh, functional relationship, they loved each other, he had a beautiful life, but he needed Jesus. Everybody say, but he needed Jesus. God's doing something so great right now, and it's important that we understand it. Paul told Timothy, he said, listen, I solemnly charge you, this is muy importante, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, but not somber. Be sober. Endure hardship. Don't get a persecution complex, but just endure what you have to deal with. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What's the name of the author who wrote the book about Lincoln, the woman uh, historian? Uh, I forgot her name, but she did a master class, and she talked about the main characteristic of all the leaders she studied without question 
wasn't just talent, it was that they worked. And the Bible says, do the work of the evangelist. Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's a skillful historian. Yes, in all labor, there's profit. And I would say if there's any, if there are any standout characteristics of St. Louis Family Church that God has insisted upon it, it would be a work ethic. We're created in Christ for good works. We're not saved by works. We're saved in order to figure out what God wants us to do. And then as each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. If you, you listen, if you want to find fruitfulness, this is a good church because God's going to put us to work. I mean, when we went to Kosovo, it was all about rebuilding homes in the burning, blistering sun, in a thankless moment where people were traumatized in post-war terror, and it was labor, and it was intense, and it was a massive culture difference. And we were going into a former communist socialist environment that had no concept for the virtues and values that made what we are. And we had to go over there and we had to love them and minister to them. We didn't come to impart Americanism in them. We came to bring freedom and liberty and God and the presence of the Lord. And we had to do it through laboring and laboring and laboring. In fact, when I first started, I realized it's going to take a long time plowing through the concrete to get through into this people group. God planted us out here when this was gumbo. God planted us out here before all this development, before Kroenke and, and before uh, Steinberg built the, the longest strip mall in America. And then Blue Valley got competed with, with Tobman, and they did a little market competition and then put what, the Chesterfield Mall out of business with all this kind of these decisions. And all this land became as valuable as Beverly Hills. God put us in this moment because we're called to be pioneers. God's put us in this moment because he whom he foreknew, he also did predestine to conform to the image of his son. And that we're, as we conform to the image of his son, we have the mind of Christ. And, he, and God has given us a directive and as we'll listen to him and we'll follow him in his written word, preach the word in season and out of season. The Lord said to me, Look, you're going to have some in-season, you're going to have some out-of-season. You want to lead the people. Just get in there and realize that sometimes you're going to have major breakthrough. Sometimes you're going to have major breakthrough. And sometimes you're going to have major trial, major hardship. And uh, how many of you have had both? How many of you would like to have more breakthrough and less trial? Me too. But guess what? How many of you notice it's mainly plowing, 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 and then breakthrough. Are you okay with that? You don't even want to sign up for that because you're in suspended disbelief. But the fact of the matter is, in the world you'll have tribulation. But we don't have a persecution complex. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, so we just have to deal with it. And yet Daniel and the people in the deportation and the exile, when Jeremiah prophesied to them, he said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. God put us in this context for a reason. We are an end time church, meaning this is closer to the end of the age than, than we've ever been. 
And they longed for the first coming. And when Jesus came, the wise men from the east, the the shepherds who were prompted by the angels, Mary and Joseph, and everybody got around and saw that Herod freaked out and all those guys tried to kill him off. He went into exile and God protected him and God took care of him. God took care of the early church, didn't he? Even when John was banished to the Isle of Patmos, it didn't stop the power of the Holy Spirit from giving him one of the greatest books in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Even when Daniel was stuck in that stupid situation in Babylon where it was grievous, God gave him some of the greatest glimpses into the future of any person in the Old or New Testament. He saw things for his generation. He saw things for his Jewish people. Then he also saw things for the church age, and he also saw things for the end of the age, the things that haven't even happened yet. So it's pales... Actually, the lion's den is actually light compared to the revelation that he got and how God preserved him all the way to old age. He said this, preach the word. Now, this is the apostle telling the pastor to preach the word. One time I got a great compliment in a book. A lady said that she visited a Bible church and she described our church. I was actually in studies Missouri Baptist, and it was a textbook. And I knew when she visited us, and she called our church a Bible church. Everybody say a Bible church. I don't think there could be a greater honor than calling a church a Bible church. And uh, because I'm basing this on the Bible, and I want to rightly divide the word with you from Genesis to Revelation. I I want it to say what it says. I don't want to try to make it say something that it doesn't say. And if we rightly divide the word, that means that we won't wrongly divide the word. We study to show ourselves approved to God, and we listen. We have heads up, eyes alert, paying attention. And uh, as we do, uh, God's going to show us things to come. You, you mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers, God gives special honor. He said uh, a good man doesn't just leave an inheritance for his children. A good man, a good woman, will leave an inheritance for their children's children. So that means... It's to be transgenerational and be more thorough and more complete. So guess what? When I was a kid, I started honoring my elders because my dad taught me to, because the Bible teaches to, because I knew eventually I'd be an old person and I better reap, I wanted to reap good things, so I wanted to sow respect. But more importantly, God has used elderly people in my life who lived through many things, people that went through many seasons, who spoke very stabilizing things to me, and helped me and spoke into the life of our church. People up in their 80s and into their 90s that downloaded into us, like Paul saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Good old Dick Mills, whose mother was a songwriter. He, he went to school with Chuck Smith and Pastor Jack Hayford. They were mighty champions of the faith in the spirit-filled movement. And that wonderful man of God, he called himself an evangelist, but he knew how to flow and word of knowledge, and he knew how to flow. He had had an amazing recording gift of memorization of scripture, and God used him for a couple of decades in the life of our church. And he saw things about this church and spoke into the life of this church that were so precious. And, you know, I hold to those things. This is being the more sure word of prophecy, and yet God used those prophetic indicators as confirmation so that by them we may fight the good fight of faith. So here we are, brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. God knowing we'd have a pandemic and, a, and an imposed uh, quarantine and all these variables, 
God knowing that we would see things in our culture and in this moment, knowing that we were called upon to be great intercessors and people of prayer. This is a house of prayer. God's restoring health to our prayer system in our church right now. He's bringing us into a place, back to simplicity, back to a healthy place, so it can be more vast and more complete. You guys are anointed to pray alone. You're anointed to pray with your friends, and you're anointed to pray in corporate prayer. But listen, we're going to be the house of prayer for the nations. And I believe what Reinhard Bonnke said. He said he was an equipping evangelist, and he keyed into this church. He saw this as a portal. God had a portal, an open heaven over this deal. That's why he kept pouring into it. And you know what he said to me in my last conversation with him before he died? He still wanted to come here just so he could see you guys. And that was, one of the, that was the Pentecostal Billy Graham. That was one of the greatest evangelists in the history of Christianity in terms of impact. He had verified uh, decisions, 79 million verified, written down, recorded uh, salvations through the course of his ministry. And he had an average missionary effect until he had a dream, a reoccurring dream, that Africa was covered in the blood of Jesus. And when he woke up from that reoccurring dream, he said, everything changed. Say, everything changed. When God imparts his visions and dreams and he starts to reveal clarity about it, we better be ready. 1993, I got up in the church and I said, hey, we're going to do cleanup. And people just looked at me. When I went to Kosovo, I got up there was one Yahoo guy that was just trying to get attention with everything, and he was so hard to lead, and he finally left. But other people that were just laying down their lives and serving, they just were rolling their eyes as this guy just demanded all my attention, kept trying to get everybody's attention, an attention seeker, finally left. But these other faithful so, uh, servants, faithful servants, they just sat there sunburned and tired. And I got up and I prophesied. You want to know what I said? A great church will emerge out of this sweat equity. You don't feel it now, but all this hard work of us getting these people back on their feet is going to translate into a church. You could have heard a pin drop. It was so prophetic that it didn't look like there were, Jeffrey had any uh, uh, potential. It didn't look like that situation had any potential. It, you could not see any outward verification for it. And yet, God opened a door that no man could shut. God gave us favor and now one of these great major churches. Now you know that pastor, because of COVID, he's had to expand and they've asked him to get on platforms in Albania. And now, now Driton, who is such a gifted, wonderful, he's like a Timothy. He is an is exceptional Christian. He's submitted to authority, he's respectful. He's, he, they have an, I, I saw that that needs to be an autonomous church under his leadership. We helped it. We financed it. We have continued to support it in order that the gospel could go forth as, even as far as Illyricum. If you don't understand that, it's in the book of Romans where Paul said, I preached even as far as Illyricum. See, Dr. King is important to me because he obeyed God. He had a dream and he obeyed God. I know he's a human, and we hear things that they, they, could, tort, they could either overly embellish or exaggerate or put down or, or overstate. I, you know, all I know is what ultimately happened was God used a prayer group to change some bad things in the country. And I'm believing God he's going to do that again. And I believe that the anointing is here, and we just need to reach out and take hold of it. 
And there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind that filled the upper room where all the 120 were gathered and fire distributed on each and every one of them. So I've known Mike and Becky for a long time. He's a master craftsman with wood. And they're unique people. They're special people. And they figured it out and they flow together and they're unique and they've got a strong relationship. There's a vibrancy to them. They're very kind, giving, loving. It makes perfect sense to me that God on occasion would have somebody at near death say, hey, Mike, I need what you have. Becky, I need what you have. This is, in fact, what I'm preaching about. The anointing is on you. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, please do it now. Today is the day of salvation, and you must be born again. And that is an intentional, deliberate thing that Jesus provided, but you have, he insists that you take action. The action is simple, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from sin and its consequences, saved from hell, saved from insecurity, inferiority, uncertainty, saved out of futility and brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And if you wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I wanna encourage you to read the first two chapters of Acts. Study that out, read Acts chapter 16, read about the Ephesians and how they got filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened as a result? They spoke the word with boldness. They prayed in other tongues. Power hit them. Gifts started to flow. And God is about ready to do an enrichment on that in this season. And God wants to bring everybody into that vital uh, potential, into that pool of resourcefulness and abundance. Everybody say, Jeffrey has potential. Say your name and say that you have potential. Say your name. Look at somebody next to you and say, you too have potential. Say this with me, I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. I'm walking by faith, not by sight. My steps are ordered by the Lord. Signs and wonders follow me. I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit. God's hand is on my life. His favor surrounds me. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm bought with a price. I'm a new creature in Jesus. I have a great potential to obey and do God's will in these upcoming days. See, we make mistakes, but the good news is we can learn. And God perfects that which concerns us and causes all things to work together for good. Hallelujah.